You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of TheBarkBoard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I am Lucio Rick, the host of the show, being joined, as always, by Jackson Moore, the publisher of the Barkboard. Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lucio. A little bit better than last week. <laughs> it was nice to see a much different Fresno State team out there and um, have a much different feel about the season than we had a week ago. So, um, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot's going on outside of football right now, but um, as far as uh, myself and watching Fresno State football, I'm, it's going well. Uh, how about yourself, Lucio? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I mean, it was a complete different game, uh, complete different team than what we saw the previous week. Looks like the Bulldogs were able to kind of see what they did wrong and kind of correct a lot of things. Um, there's still more room for improvement, but they're, uh, it, it looks like uh, they're headed in the right direction this uh, going into this week. And, you know, this week is a, is a crazy one. I mean, as as you and I were talking before the podcast, it's election week. So everything's a little hairy right now as far as everything going on. There's a lot of attention going towards that. But, you know, the Bulldogs do have another game that they're going to be heading over to uh, Las Vegas to play UNLV. But before we, we hit upon that, Jackson, um, let's let's kind of break down what what went right for the Bulldogs here. I mean, the Bulldogs, like we mentioned, were a completely different team uh, against Colorado State. Kind of what was your thought? What's your key on what was the biggest change for the Bulldogs in, the, in order for them to kind of turn things around as they did against Colorado State? Yeah, I think it was a, it was definitely a variety of things. I mean, you look at turnovers. Uh, they went from giving the ball away four times in their first game to none this game. I mean, that in itself could have maybe given Fresno State a win against Hawaii. Um, you look at just the offensive line protecting Hayner. He wasn't running around nearly as much. And I think that was the, the biggest concern for me coming out of that first game is that you know the offense didn't look all that different with Hayner running around the same way Jorge Reina had to when the O-line should have been much better uh, with the full health and the experience. And um, I think part of that, as Coach DeBora talked about over the past week before, leading up to the second game, was that uh, Hayner maybe had a little bit of happy feet. He could have just checked down. And that's what I, I really enjoyed seeing in the second game was that uh, he threw the very simple passes to Ronnie Rivers and Jordan Mims. You saw Rivers take one of them for a key third-down conversion. You saw Mims take one. Go, he went untouched on a simple check down to the end zone for a touchdown, which was awesome to see after he hadn't played all of last season. Uh, you also saw Rivers with some routes downfield with the, the passing touchdown to Ronnie Rivers, which wasn't a check down, but it was a very nicely designed play. So that's what I'd like to see. It just looked like the offense was a much, a much better sync, um, both in the pass and the run. And then, of course, you have to give the defense credit. Uh, they looked night and day better than they did the week before as well. Um, I mean, really no big complaints about what they did. Uh, I mean, the the biggest problem they had was trying to slow down Trey McBride, Colorado State's tight end, who was huge. <laughs> it's going to be tough for anyone to stop him. He had eight catches and 130 yards and a touchdown. But, 
Yeah, and it's it's also a good credit to them because they went into the week preparing for the quarterback that Colorado State did not send out. Patrick O'Brien put up a ton of yards against the Bulldogs the year before. And because the Rams had so many, well, they lost their, key, their star receiver before the season, and their next guy up was out uh, due to COVID tracing. So Colorado State thought, hey, Hawaii ran the ball on Fresno State. We'll just use our dual threat quarterback, and we'll run all over him and win this one. And the Bulldogs stood their ground, and they didn't let that happen at all. Uh, they only gave up um, 3.7 yards per carry as a total. Uh, they really didn't give up many yards between the tackles to their running backs. Um, both of Colorado State's two running backs, including a, a physical, I believe Marcus McElroy is like six foot, 225, 235. So there was a, a perfect chance for the Rams to bully the Bulldogs around like Hawaii did, but Fresno State didn't let it happen. They were on a short week. They had plenty of excuses to be tired, and the defense was just totally different. So, uh, I mean, almost top to bottom, but so much better performance than we saw against Hawaii. And if this is the version of the Bulldogs we see in the next couple of weeks, I mean, they have quite a few favorable favorable matchups coming up and for them to have a chance to build on this. Absolutely. And, and one one key that I kind of want to want to touch upon is uh, Ronnie Rivers. I mean, if you were watching this game, you could see that he was a, a man on a mission pretty much during this whole game. He was knocking some people over uh, who were coming in for the tackle, and he pretty much ran them over. Uh, did you see the same thing, a little bit more you know, pep in his step, so to speak, for uh, Ronnie Rivers there, Jackson? Yeah, that, that's the biggest thing with Ronnie this year. Uh, his first three seasons at Fresno State really didn't put on a lot of weight, and he's already on the smaller side, obviously, to begin with. So he's been a little bit more of an elusive back. Uh, this year, he put on about 10 pounds during the offseason, during quarantine, and you're seeing it. I mean, he is not afraid to go straight up at, at defenders. I mean, as you mentioned, he's running over people. He's shedding tackles. And it's added a whole new element to his game. And I think that made him particularly dangerous. They put him even in a direct snap at quarterback in a, a wild card or a wildcat formation. And uh, he wasn't going to be stopped on that one. And so for him to score as a receiver, as a running back, and even as a, a direct snap quarterback all in the same game is, pretty impressive and you like the way that they're using him right now uh, and the potential that he has to to have a different element Um, there hasn't been a lot of explosive plays in the running game but uh, as far as the big plays you know we saw him break off some big runs the past couple of years he hasn't quite had that yet but he is making defenses pay for just the basic runs which is a, a much different flavor this year and then, of course, you know, we've got to talk about Jake Hayner. Uh, the previous week against Hawaii, he pretty much struggled. He looked like a deer in a headlights. Uh, but going against Colorado State, it looked like he shook some of those those cobwebs off. And um, he looked pretty sharp early on. There was the, the first touchdown pass was uh, a thing of beauty to, uh, to Ronnie Rivers. And as I watched that replay again, I mean, it couldn't be any more on the money. Did you get that sense uh, from Jake Hayner as well that it looks like he might look like he's starting to kind of dial things in and, and starting to feel comfortable with the Bulldogs? Yeah, I mean, Hayner, the biggest thing for me was, well, obviously turnovers. That was a big help for him not to turn the ball over four times like he did the previous week. And uh, there weren't very many close turnovers either. I mean, dropped interceptions or anything like that. So that was nice. Um, but as mentioned earlier, too, the, the checkdowns, I mean, that was huge for him. 
not to be putting themselves in harm way, himself in harm's way. Uh, even the times he was sacked, uh, I think it was a benefit for him to just kind of go down and take it because he wasn't running downfield, putting himself in uh, open field kind of hits that I think took a toll on him the week before. Uh, he wasn't forcing passes on the run. He did improvise quite a few times and scramble and make some nice plays on the run, but we saw uh, that that's a situation that can create turnovers or some errors as well. So I thought he just settled in. It was much more comfortable, and uh, I think it went a long way. The checkdowns were huge. I mean, those are plays that are not very complicated by any means, but it's a whole lot better than trying to throw the ball downfield and, and forcing an interception or having something bad happen. So um, I think for him, it was just not forcing it. And we saw, I mean, 22 for 32, 311 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, I'll take that every week of the season if that's what he's going to bring to the table. And we also saw Ben Wooldridge get in there for a drive, and Wooldridge did pretty solid as well. And maybe that lit a little bit under Hayner. I mean, it wasn't a production-based deal. They knew going into the game they were going to do that. So I don't think um, Hayner was worried by any means. But perhaps seeing Wooldridge have some success on offense may have put a little bit of fire in him to make sure that there's no questions about that going forward. So uh, a much better day in the passing game. I'd also like that. He's kind of developing some chemistry with some key guys. It looks like Carrick Wheatfall, Josh Kelly, and uh, Jalen Cropper are basically the, the three go-to receivers. And you got Aaron Brooks or Eric Brooks, who has caught some passes as well. So uh, I'd like to see them tighten the receivers a little bit. They've got a lot of talent, but um, it's nice to have someone like Keyshawn Johnson go for over a thousand yards and trying to, to give everyone the ball. I know that's just it. I, I saw a lot of passes going around, but it, no real star has emerged yet uh, as far as the wide receiver is concerned. Uh, they did, however, try to get Cropper involved uh, a little bit more this game than they did last game. Uh, what's what's going on there as far as Cropper is concerned? Um, why can't they just you know break him loose, so to speak, like they did last year? Yeah, uh, I think Cropper was limited a little bit by injury the first game. It sounded like he had a bit of an ankle issue going into the season, and um, it was more of a snap count, I think, than it was um, him being 100% or not. They didn't want to overdo it with him. And they wanted to make sure they got the ball to him more when he was out there. And he was out there a lot more in week two, and he ended up with six touches. He had the the last touchdown late, uh, which was a short pass. So um, they did get him in the end zone, but uh, yeah, not necessarily the big plays that we got <laughs> used to seeing the year prior, and we'll see. I mean, I think they've ran, they've run the end around play a few times, but it's a, a read pass option, I believe, and um, just the the read hasn't been there. They've gone the other way with it when they've run that play so far, or it's a decoy play, uh, one of the two. So I anticipate that they'll try to keep getting him the ball a little bit more. Um, they haven't quite used them to as full potential yet, but they're much more involved in this past game than the first one. Absolutely. And so uh, hopefully they can start moving things more with uh, Cropper getting them a few more touches and things like that. But uh, there's another player that kind of really stood out to me in this game, Jackson. And I don't know, it might come to su- surprise to some people, but it was on special teams. And that's Tyler Mello. Uh, Tyler Mello. Um, I almost butchered that name there. Um, he is showing up that he is he could be a force. Uh, he is hitting players really hard. 
what's his outlook that maybe he might start seeing some touches on defense, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, he's had some some big hits, and it was pretty. Uh, I mean, you try to figure out how it happened. He had four tackles in that game, and it was third, tied for third for the Bulldogs. And he basically only played special teams. So I think that shows how big of an impact he's making. He got to go on the field that last drive when the Bulldogs were away. But other than that, I mean, he was basically just on the kickoff team, making big hits, wrapping up, and just making some impressive tackles. And the first kickoff of the game to start things off, he had a big hit right in front of the Bulldogs bench. And had Fresno State uh, jumping up and down on the sidelines. So he's making definitely the most out of his opportunities so far. Uh, I got to talk to defensive coordinator William Inge uh, this week, and uh, he had a lot of good things to say about Tyler and that they want to get him on the field a little bit more if they can. Um, and they just know that he's very aggressive. He's a, a high-speed kind of guy, and they call him – apparently they call him the ice cream man at practice. <laughs> he's from Hanford <laughs> where uh, – William Inge has already learned about the uh, really tasty, superior dairy ice cream <laughs> they've got over there. So uh, that one's been brought up a few times already. But, um, yeah, I mean, Melo, is, I mean, he looks like everything you want in a linebacker, and it's an awesome bonus that he's a local guy and uh, has a bit of an agriculture background as well. So I think the sky's the limit for him. It's just a matter of getting him a little bit more um, – comfortable on defense and doing what they need them to do right now they've got like five linebackers cycling in and out of those two uh, positions in the 425 defense and they're all guys that have been here for a couple of years so um, it seems like experience is the issue now but I would not be surprised at all to see them work mellow in a few drives and, and try to pick up his uh, his workload with the linebackers unit as well as the kickoff team. Yeah, I mean, he looks like a player that uh, is when he's trying to make a name for himself. Let's let's put it that way. He's he's really trying to make himself known, uh, and he's done a great job so far because it, the cameras are picking up on on his hits that he's making on kickoff returns and punt returns. So he's definitely starting to turn some heads, and we'll probably start to get some more action uh, moving forward. Uh, but. One of the the key issues that the Bulldogs may be facing this season so far, Jackson, has got to be the injuries. Um, just recently, I know you reported on Fresno State losing uh, wide receiver Amorier Edwards, and how I know the wide receiver core is deep, but how does that affect the Bulldogs uh, with the plans they they probably had for him? Yeah, Edwards has been a, an odd one because. We didn't really hear much about him in the preseason. We didn't hear anything at all, but our opportunities were limited, and we didn't get a chance to ask everything that we wanted to. And um, we've uh, they've been able to keep everything under wraps because of uh, COVID issues. You can't watch practices the way we're used to watching them. So uh, it turns out that Amorier actually, um, to our suspicion, which we had posted on the premium board over the uh, fall camp, was that he was not practicing uh, DeBoer confirmed on Monday that Edwards is coming off of what he called a non-football-related injury and that they haven't had him yet. Uh, it sounds like he's still very much a part of the program and they want to get him back with the team and healthy as soon as possible. And you would think for sure by next year he'd be back to normal and a, a part of that rotation. But uh, they kind of had to move on without him for this uh, season for the time being. And then you have also have Zane Pope, who is... Uh, injured right now and not with the receivers unit so 
uh, it's a, a deep and a kind of um, crowded group right now. And the thing is, it could be even more so if you had those two guys. So uh, as long as they don't have too many more injuries, I mean, as long as you have guys like Wheatfall, Cropper, uh, Josh Kelly has been solid. Chris Coleman's the guy that hasn't had a lot of opportunities yet this season, but is uh, listed as a starter and is very much in that conversation. Um, Jamal Glassby and Eric Brooks, I think, are solid, two solid guys that ran up the two deep. So they might be able to lose one more guy and not feel it too bad with what they have right now. But um, you don't want to risk it anymore. Fresno State's got to be very thankful that they've recruited the hall of receivers that they have to have players like Edwards and Pope not available and not really feel it too much right now. Now, Jackson, seeing all the injuries that have happened to the Bulldogs, are you at all concerned um, at any position because of the injuries and, and what the Bulldogs are doing this season? Um, Aaron Mosby is the big one. Uh, it didn't hurt the Bulldogs too bad this past week, but I felt like that he was kind of what was missing against Hawaii, against the run. Uh, they just didn't have an answer for it, and it would have been nice to have a 100% Aaron Mosby uh, filling in in the box there. Um he is coming off of a, it sounds like he had a surgery uh, pretty shortly before the season got underway or the, the preseason. Uh, the Bulldogs weren't planning on playing and they had him address something that he had going on injury wise. And it turned out to be an unfortunate move because they Mountain West announced they're coming back pretty soon after that. And so they're going to have more and more Mosby, I believe in the weeks to come. Uh, he did go down with a, an injury again this past week, but uh looked like it was nothing serious and that he's still on his way back uh, recovering from the previous deal. So if they have Mosby fully uh, healthy, um, I think that goes a long way, but it may be a couple more weeks. Um, Chris Gaston also working his way back from injury. I think he could be a big boost to the cornerback position, which uh, Braylon Lux has uh, been a very welcome surprise at that position uh, so far this season. If you have Gaston and Lux, they could be in really good shape at cornerback. And so uh, they haven't suffered too many big losses injury-wise, but um, Juan Rodriguez is probably the one that uh, hurts you the most just because he was the one tight end that had experience, and uh, he had a really solid first game against Hawaii. He was one of the bright spots and that he went down for the season in that same game was tough. Uh, Raymond Powell basically took over all his reps in this past game and did pretty solid, so you feel a little bit better there. And uh, Jared Torres, a, a walk-on from Visalia, has uh, stepped in at tight end as a blocker. So um, they are finding solutions, and it sounds like they've been a little bit fortunate with the replacement stepping up at a few positions. But, um, yeah, you've got some positions on this team that are fairly fragile, and you don't want to lose any more. Um, the, for the eight-week season, you feel like injuries shouldn't be as big of an issue as normal, but... The other side of it is that a, a test regarding COVID or symptoms or tracing or anything could wipe out a handful of players at any given moment. And fortunately, uh, that hasn't been an issue yet, but it's entirely possible that it could be uh, at any point in the season. So hopefully we get through these next six weeks uh, without that and as injury-free as possible. Yeah, absolutely, because the Bulldogs can't afford to, to lose too many different pieces 
in especially in the positions that they're not as deep as the wide receiver position. So uh, let's hope that they are able to keep all the all the players healthy as uh, as can be. Now, Jackson, this last game against uh, Colorado State, um, I mean, you got a chance to kind of be there in the stadium and kind of watch things. Was the was the atmosphere a little bit different than when it was against Hawaii? Uh, did you feel the Bulldogs were kind of more in in this game than they were the, the first game? Yeah, the the atmosphere and everything going on in the stadium was pretty identical as far as the outside elements. But I did notice a, a different Fresno State team. I felt like you know, Hawaii was a team that is more experienced, and they've got kind of a reputation as far as. Uh, being very physical, and um, surprisingly, it didn't do him any good at Wyoming this past week, but uh, I felt like in that first game that Hawaii really brought it to Fresno State and that the Bulldogs didn't quite answer. And I felt like Fresno State used that experience, and they came out. They were the team that was more physical. They were having the harder hits. They were the ones uh, chatting a little bit <laughs> from the sidelines, a little bit of trash talking you can hear without all the, the fans in the stands. And that Colorado State was the team that couldn't match that. And they were the team that was kind of sulking on the sidelines in the second half. And as lopsided as this game got, there were a few opportunities for the Rams where they had make-or-break opportunities to stay in the game and make it very interesting. And Fresno State made all the big plays on, on both sides of the ball. And I think uh, having that experience against Hawaii was a, a big one for Fresno State. And meanwhile, the Rams were playing their first game. They were kind of feeling things out. and. Uh, I think it all kind of worked in Fresno State's favor as kind of the underlying story that you don't necessarily think about when you look at scores and yards and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it yeah you could definitely feel that there was a, a a different mood, so to speak, for the Bulldogs there. But now watching this game, Jackson, your grade on how the offense did and uh, you know room for improvement and, and things that they can still work on. Yeah, I felt um, the offense was in pretty good shape. The O-line is the, the biggest concern for me. Uh, now that you know that Hayner can put the kind of performance that he had uh, and you've got all the weapons that you have, that running back and receiver, and even the tight ends are looking okay without Rodriguez, it uh, really all comes down to the O-line. Um, as good as Rivers' performance was, he was only 4.1 yards per carry, uh, second game in a row this year below his average from last season, and I think that's more of an indictment of the O-line rather than him. Uh, Hayner took several sacks. Um, they were all big yardage sacks. And like I mentioned earlier, I'd, you don't want to see that happen, but I'd rather see that happen than him forcing or, or taking worse hits than he already would be. Um, so the, for me, I have the O-line, particularly the pass blocking, but also the run blocking needs to step up a little bit too. Uh, we got to talk to offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb this week, and the thing that he noted was that Colorado State, he felt, was best up front on the D-line as far as personnel goes. And uh, they had a Miami grad transfer at defensive end from the U. And he was like 6'6", 250, I believe. I mean, he was a monster. And he was giving Fresno State some trouble. And they had a few other players on the, the D-line that uh, were a little bit bigger than they saw from Hawaii the week before. Um, so they do feel that maybe it was more of a matchup thing. but. Uh, two games in a row, the O-line has raised concerns, and that's the biggest one for me because that's that's the piece. If the O-line is just 
above average. If they can let the the rest of the weapons take care of business, and it'll be a scary Fresno State offense to watch. Yeah, that's definitely a, a concern for the Bulldogs. As the the off the uh, offensive line is looks like is is the biggest Achilles heel for the Bulldogs offensively right now as as they are uh, unable to keep the pressure off of Hayner. Um, now, granted, Hayner looks better when he's on the move, but that's not necessarily something you want to watch Hayner do all the time, right, Jackson? I mean, running for his life every single play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. After the game, I went home and watched the broadcast, and the, the announcers were saying they thought he was even better throwing on the run than uh, when he was in the pocket, I mean, he is very good improvising and, and making plays. You know, it's it's not. I mean, he, he does a good job when the pocket breaks down of making that first move and then getting the ball out. I, I like that. That's perfectly fine. Uh, what you don't really want to see is him um, scrambling all the way to the sideline and then forcing the ball or, or running downfield and taking shots like he did against Hawaii or putting the ball in harm's way, uh, floating one while trying to to get one on the run, which was a problem against Hawaii as well. Uh, so you kind of want to balance it. And for me, if you've got Ronnie Rivers and Jordan Mims, uh, as much as you can avoid scrambling and running and just dumping it off to one of those two guys, uh, I think that proved to be a big weapon in this uh, game against Colorado State. And uh, they just got to find the right balance. And I think that they were much better at finding it in, against Colorado State than they were Hawaii. And if they kind of keep that same even keel as far as him running and throwing, then it should be in pretty good shape. Now, defensively for the Bulldogs, uh, we did see a change of, of how the Bulldogs kind of uh, approach this game, so to speak. Now, what's your grade upon what the Bulldogs are doing here and, you know, room for improvement? Where, where, where can things kind of change a little bit? Yeah, you know, the defense, uh, I give the offense the better grade of these two, but I think the defense showed the most improvement. I think the offense was just a matter of tuning a few things up, avoiding the big mistakes, and that was all they were going to need to be the type of offense they were. But uh, Fresno State's defense was just a, a huge concern coming off the Hawaii game, and the whole Colorado State 17 points was a very pleasant surprise. Um, they made very many critical third and fourth down stops. The Rams were four of 15 on third down, one of four on fourth down. Um, they were held to 372 yards. Um, you know, I, I don't think Colorado State did themselves any favors with the move that they did make at quarterback. Um, Todd Santeo uh, was not a great thrower. I mean, they had a, a wide open receiver. It was the tight end actually on fourth and goal, and he failed it. That would have been an easy touchdown for the Rams if. Uh, maybe Patrick O'Brien's in there at quarterback. Um, it was uh, a wise call before the game, but in hindsight, uh, it didn't work out as Fresno State was much better against the run. So uh, it was just encouraging to see them play a night and day kind of game where they were making tackles, they were getting to the ball, they were making key stops, all the things they didn't do against Hawaii. And uh, you're still not sure how they're going to look from week to week, but you do feel a whole lot more confident. And if I mean, if they can hold op- opponents to 17 points, they should win <laughs> just about every game with the weapons they have on offense. So um, I think UNLV and Utah State coming up are two games where they can continue to fine-tune. They don't have to worry about too big of a, a high-powered offense in those two games, and uh, they can get to where they need to be by the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, especially now going heading into Las Vegas, 
uh, as you mentioned, against a UNLV team, UNLV team that they should be able to handle. Uh, the Bulldogs are going into that game as favorites. Now, double-digit favorites uh, last time I checked, I believe. Um, so the Bulldogs have a favorable matchup, but should they count their chickens before they're hatched, Jackson? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I don't think Fresno State is quite there where they can overlook anyone in this conference. Um, you know, New Mexico might be at the, the bottom of the conference and them and San Jose State were tied in the third quarter last week. The Spartans are now 2-0 and after winning that game and looking like one of the better teams right now with the win against Air Force. So, I mean, unless you're Boise State right now, I think just about anyone can beat anyone in the Mountain West. And particularly with Fresno State, you've got two games and you think the team that beat Colorado State could beat just about anyone in the Mountain West and the team that lost against Hawaii could lose to just about anyone. So until we have more of a sample size, you're not 100% sure what to expect from the Bulldogs week in and week out. But they should, if they do anything that resembles what they did last week, beat UNLV pretty comfortably. Um, Coach DeVore, I think, has done a good job in terms of what he described as being honest that UNLV is owned too. So a lot of the stats don't look good, but they went on tape and they tried to highlight all the things that are the flashes that they've done well and the reasons why the Rebels are probably going to think they've got a shot to win this and reasons that Fresno State should not take them lightly. So uh, there is plenty to watch for. I mean, Charles Williams at running back is always going to be a concern as long as he's there. It seems like he's been there for a long time. The former Bullard uh, running back has made Fresno State pay quite a few times for not recruiting him, and he'll get another go at Fresno State this week. And um, you know, they uh, the final score against Nevada uh, was not uh, the most complimentary for UNLV, but I mean, they were in that game for a while. They made a lot of key fourth down conversions, and um, they're not by any means a, a total walkover, um, but. It is a game that if you're Fresno State, you don't win by double digits, you start to get concerned again. Now, hasn't Charles Williams been there so long that they've actually made him a professor there at UNLV now? <laughs> I mean, the guy's been there forever. <laughs> it's, it feels like it. Uh, but uh, this this game is it's it's always a catch-22 because, Jackson, isn't it true that the, the UNLV has kind of had the Bulldogs' number in the last few years? They've, they've kind of surprised them a few times. Yeah, this is one of the strangest, <laughs> to me, the strangest uh, series of the Mountain West for Fresno State. Um, but definitely the one that, that was surprising was 2017 when the Bulldogs were really rolling, and this was a UNLV team that, hadn't done anything, and they came in the Bulldog Stadium and knocked off Fresno State 26-16. I mean, that was really the only blemish on Coach Tedford's run over 2017 and 18. Uh, Every other team they lost to was one that they were basically supposed to. Um, But that was uh, part of a four-year stretch where UNLV took three wins, and um, you you, you don't think of UNLV much as far as Mountain West football, but the Bulldogs are only four and three against the Rebels in the stretch. They've been conference mates once again, but the last two years definitely uh, tipped the scale back to Fresno State. Uh, Coach Tedford got revenge in 2018 with a, a 48-3 win the last time they were in Vegas to play the Rebels, and uh, last year was really their best performance of the whole season, beating UNLV 56-27. So um, the there's a lot of players 
playing critical roles for Fresno State that weren't a part of the Mountain West Championship two years ago, but most of them were on the field for a 29-point drubbing of the Rebels last season. So they should be confident, hopefully not too confident, that they, they overlook them. Yeah, and th- and right now every win, every win matters because of this shortened season. And good news for the Bulldogs, Jackson. Uh, Hawaii lost last week. So that kind of evens things up against Hawaii because that was the team they lost against. However, you know, you did mention San Jose State has won two games in a row. Um, and I believe San Diego State as well, right? Am I remembering that one correct? Um, yeah, San Jose State and San Diego State will play each other, a battle of uh, 2-0 and teams. <laughs> and then you've got Boise State at 2-0 and as well. They go out of conference to BYU this week. So, um, Fresno State, uh, I mean, if they can get these wins against uh, UNLV and Utah State, two 0-2 teams, then they'll have the two 2-0 two and o teams, San Jose State and San Diego State, to get them at home. And then you've got Nevada, uh, who is also 2-0. and That three-game stretch is basically going to decide it for Fresno State as far as trying to get to the conference championship. And um, with no division, there's really no backdoor way to get into the conference championship. They're only going to take the top two teams regardless. So, I mean... Two losses could potentially knock you out or come down to a tiebreaker situation, and Fresno State's already got one. Um, they feel a little bit better with Hawaii in the last column, but yeah, there's no, pretty much no room for error the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, you've got uh, it's going to be close. I mean, because there's four teams right now in the Mountain West that are undefeated, um, and three of those teams are in the Bulldogs Conference. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so i mean you got boise state who's who's undefeated and then you've got nevada san diego state and san jose state ahead of fresno state in their conference uh so the it, you know san diego state and san jose state facing each other this week um uh, the you know a good thing for the bulldogs depending on who comes out on top i'm, I'm really not sure who uh, who I want to root for in that game? <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't really care for either one of them, so uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see how that one uh, shakes out. But Nevada, a little bit of a surprise to you, Jackson? You know, Nevada. I think they're one of the biggest uh, beneficiaries of what has gone on this season. Um, you know, basically them and San Jose State. Uh, so. The Mountain West isn't recognizing divisions as far as going to the championship this year, but all the teams in the West are still playing each other like normal. And so, in a way, <laughs> you've still got that factor. And uh, San Jose State and Nevada are the only two teams in that normal division that have the same coaching staff. They've been both now with their teams for four years. And both teams return a lot of talent from uh, what was kind of a promising year for both teams last year. And particularly Nevada. They got just about all their student-athletes back to campus in June, and they actually they were supposed to play what's known as the Week Zero game in the original schedule. And so before the Mountain West canceled the season, they had, I think, like 10 fall camp practices. So if any team has continuity and is well-prepared for this season, it should be Nevada. And that's going to be a bigger help for them earlier in the season than later as teams catch up. But uh, I think this whole ordeal set up best for Nevada and really Fresno state was put in the worst situation by not getting student athletes back until late September. Um, and they, that might've been a factor in the week one debacle, but 
it looks like they've uh, picked it up pretty quickly since then. Yeah, so this is going to be one of those where they go back to the old format. You know, the winner of the of the whole conference is the 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 conference champion. Um, any do you do you even foresee anybody dethroning Boise State at this point? Uh, you know, I I would anticipate it would surprise me if any game knocks Boise State off. Um, I mean, I don't think they're unbeatable, but they should be favored in every game and. Um, I would anticipate them to probably run the table and get one of the spots in the conference championship game. And that makes things tougher too, because if you say, okay, take Boise State out, take one of the conference championship game spots out, the rest of the 11 teams are fighting for the other <laughs> spot to be in the conference championship. You've got uh, San Diego State and Fresno State. Neither one of them have to play Boise State. So that's a a big help to them. You've got teams playing eight games, seven games, six games. It's going to be on win percentage so i mean seven and one is better than six and one i guess and six and two is not going to do you any good if someone does uh, five and one so <laughs> it's going to be very unusual and uh, all you can do if you're fresno state is just try to, to eke out a win every week and uh, if they are seven and one at the end of the day they should uh, be in the conference championship and probably be playing boise state and if they lose along the way then we'll probably have to count numbers and tiebreakers and all that kind of stuff to see who gets in, uh, if it's them or someone else. And if they lose three games, that's probably done. Uh, just because if you're in the normal West Division, you might sneak in at five and three like some teams have done, but no way to do it in my mind if, uh, if it's just the top two teams like they're doing this year. Yeah, and things are uh, this year like like never before. Every every game counts this year. Uh, so, uh, Bulldogs have already lost one. They really cannot afford to lose another one uh, because it it really tightens things up right now. Um, especially with Boise State still running the table two and zero, and you know you got Nevada, San Diego, and San Jose. Basically, Fresno State needs those three teams, Nevada, San Diego State, and San Jose, to at least lose a game. Um, you know, even preferably Boise State to lose a game. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's that's going to be decided later on. Uh, right now, Boise State is heavily favored to be at the top of the division. Uh, right now, it is pretty much open season for uh, who's going to come in second, basically. Uh, in the Mountain West, uh, and hopefully that's that will be the Bulldogs uh, to take um, here in the next two to three weeks. Things should start to kind of materialize a little bit more, so to speak, right, Jackson? Things things will start to shake out once some of these teams get a few games under their belt. Yeah, and San Jose, San Diego is a good example this weekend. I mean, someone's going to come out of that one three and zero, and the other's going to have their first loss and. After Fresno State, you've got to take care of business. So you're on the road, and it's not going to be easy, but you should be favored against UNLV and Utah State. And if you're 3-1, and one, I mean, that sets up for a pretty exciting run where you've got San Jose State at home, San Diego State at home, and at Nevada. I mean, that three-game stretch could determine if the Bulldogs can get into the conference championship game or not. Um, but you sure can't afford to, to drop one of these two on the road first. Yeah, absolutely. And so Fresno State heads to UNLV. So Jackson, your keys for Fresno State on offense against UNLV, what do they need to do in order to win? Yeah, for me, uh, I just 
would like to see the offensive line improve. Um, that's the biggest thing. This should be a more favorable matchup for them up front. And um, you know, UNLV has not had much success defensively this season. Uh, they're zero and two, and the defense has been run over pretty good. Uh, they gave up uh, thirty-four points to a San Diego State team that did not score that much all last year in the conference. They gave up thirty-seven to Nevada. Um, I think this is a, a matchup that Fresno State, as long as they don't turn the ball over or make some critical mistakes, uh, if they have time to, to pass and to just get decent chunk yardage in the running game, they should put up plenty of points. So offensively, it starts up front, and then the skills players just need to not turn the ball over, and uh, it should come together for the offense as far as putting quite a few points on the board. Yeah, and and so the the Bulldogs should be able to kind of uh, get those things figured out there quickly against uh, UNLV. Uh, but defensively, uh, what do the Bulldogs got to do in order to 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 you know keep keep things going in order to to pull off the win? Yeah, um, they've got to stop Charles Williams. Clearly, he's been a thorn in their side <laughs> for a few few different weeks he's already. Still there. And, yeah. <laughs> He's still there, and um, he's getting basically all the carries at running back, and he's averaging a pretty solid 4.6 yards per game. So, I mean, he's there, and they've got to find an answer for him, and um, we'll see. They they should be in a little bit more of a a spread look, to my knowledge, which um, was how uh, Hawaii attacked them on the run, not in the uh, power smash-mouth pro style like Colorado State tried to uh, for a lot of the game last week. Um, at quarterback, they've got uh, Max Gilliam as well, who's a transfer from Cal. He has not put up a ton of numbers, but he's been pretty solid in completion percentage, and he hasn't thrown a pick. So uh, the defense for Fresno State has not forced a lot of turnovers this year, and they probably won't get a lot of opportunities to in this game either. So, um, so again, for, for many reasons, turnover battle is going to be huge. But, um, yeah, just if the Bulldogs stop the run, they should be in, in pretty good shape. They've been surprisingly solid against the pass this year despite having some question marks in the secondary and um, they just have to find a way to repeat what they did last week up front in the box and wasn't sure what this 4-2-5 defense was going to be able to do against more smash mouth run teams and it fared very well last week so um, I don't anticipate any huge problem for for Fresno State but you sure don't want to see them have any more struggles against the run like they did the first week if they can avoid that Shouldn't have too much trouble here. Now, the Bulldogs this week are going to be on national television. Once again, they'll be uh, on CBS Sports Network uh, this Saturday. Uh, kickoff time, it looks like 12.30 p.m. Uh, yeah, 12.30 p.m. for Fresno State UNLV game. Uh, kind of a earlier game than the, what the Bulldogs are used to. Is that going to be kind of a, a problem for the Bulldogs, Jackson? Um, you know, I don't think so. They'll be indoors, so <laughs> I haven't been in that new stadium, obviously. I, but I know, uh, man, that was our chance this year. Jeez. Yeah, I was planning on it. I was supposed to be there twice actually this season, but um, I imagine that uh, it'll kind of offset whatever. Well, obviously weather, but um, I mean, I'm sure it's going to not feel all that different in the day than at night. But uh, it's something Fresno State's going to have to get used to, though, because it's 12:30 this week. Next, the following week's going to be an 11:30 kickoff, and then. Uh, with the home game we got San Jose State two more weeks down the road the 4 p.m. kickoff so um, without uh, fans in the stands <laughs> they haven't uh, been having as late kickoffs as normal um, 
Mountain West has kind of been spread out, and the Bulldogs haven't had to, to do many of those late kickoffs this season. And there's still some kickoffs to be announced the last couple of weeks, but there may only be uh, a couple of these late night ones, like the Bulldogs had last week or last week on on the Thursday night. Yeah, and you know, as a Bulldog fan, we're kind of used to seeing them um, happen. You know, play their games late night, uh, seven o'clock or so, but. Um, this year, a little bit different, uh, because of all the situation going on, they can actually play it, whatever, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but Fresno state plays on Saturday. Now, before that happens, there are some teams that are going to be playing Thursday and Friday. And so I'm going to run through those real quick. Jackson, you've got Utah and Nevada, uh, playing in Reno on Thursday and Wyoming and Colorado state also playing on Thursday, um, uh, the Utah State and Nevada game, 4 p.m., and the Wyoming-Colorado State, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And both of those are going to be nationally televised. Uh, I mean, we'll have more football to watch throughout the week. Um, <laughs> what you know? What do you think? How does this kind of fare in, in good for the Mountain West by putting these on national television? And these two, obviously, these two games are going to be ones that we need to watch. Yeah, I think a lot of eyeballs will specifically be on that Boise State-BYU game. Uh, BYU is number nine in the nation right now. If you haven't looked outside the Mountain West at 7-0, they haven't really played anyone. So this is a big test for both of those teams. It's obviously not a, a full-on Mountain West game since the BYU is independent. But, I mean, that's going to be a big platform for the conference. And uh, looking like maybe some rainy weather in Boise that uh, on Friday. So that might make it more interesting. But um, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that this is election week. And if you didn't realize, so maybe a lot of people didn't, uh, the NCAA with everything going on this off season, as far as social justice movements and all that, uh, gave every team Tuesday off uh, from practice to go vote. And um, that's not, I mean, it's great that people are engaged in voting, but if you're a football team and you're playing on Thursday this week, like four teams are, and or Friday, like three more Mountain West teams are, that really puts you in a time crunch as far as um, time to prepare. And Fresno State uh, is really going to be the team that's best suited because they had the two extra days off since they played last Thursday. Um, so they've had plenty of time to adapt for missing a day of practice. But um, that's going to be a, a big factor in some of these games as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have uh, some kind of sloppy and or maybe some surprising outcomes on Thursday and Friday. Um, I think that with the way that this season has played out and the unusual games or lack thereof over the past couple of months, uh, the Mountain West is just going to get these games on TV and, and maybe in not normal time slots, but if they're available to be watched nationally, then that's just great for the conference and, they don't have to worry about catering the fan bases as far as actually being there. So uh, there's a lot of opportunities to get a little more creative than normal. And um, it's nice that they're finding ways to do it other than kicking off at 7.30 p.m. every Saturday because that's usually the only way that the Mountain West gets those kind of uh, national broadcasts unless it's a weekday. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned those Thursday night games, and you, you actually mentioned the Friday night games that I just uh, saw here that – you know, you've got San Jose State, San Diego State, uh, 6 p.m. on CBS Network, and then BYU uh, versus Boise State at uh, 7.45 Mountain Time 
on uh, FS1. And those both both of those games are on Friday. Of course, a lot of people are probably going to be tuning in. If you're a Bulldog fan, you should be tuning into the San Jose San Diego State game there, because that one has some implications for the Bulldogs. Uh, and then once that one is over, you can flip over to the Boise State BYU game because you know who cares about Boise State anyways. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, on Saturday, the Bulldogs are playing UNLV, uh, and then also on Saturday you've got. Air Force Army, and that is a big game. Uh, if you know the famous Air Force Army game against each other, uh, they do not like each other um, when they play, and so that one always tends to be a very interesting game to watch. And then, of course, you've got New Mexico and Hawaii, and honestly, you think Hawaii should take that one easily. Um, but uh, other than that, Jackson, touch upon some of these other games. What do you think? Um, you know, the Mountain West fares this week. Yeah, um, Air Force could be a big one because they really ran all over Navy. And if they can win the Commander's Trophy and, and beat Army, uh, I mean, Air Force hasn't looked or fared so well in the Mountain West. Uh, I mean, you can't blame them for losing to Boise State, but they surprisingly lost to San Jose State as well. And uh, Army and Navy have become, over the past couple of seasons, much more respected as football teams. And if you've got Air Force beating both of those teams and uh, at the same time struggling within their conference opponents. That's one of the few ways for the Mountain West to elevate its uh, standing without really any non-conference games aside from a couple. Um, so that would be nice to see. Uh, I don't think Hawaii, as you mentioned, New Mexico should be much of a contest on Saturday. And uh, Fresno State is, is the only other Saturday game when you factor in those two. So uh, most of this action is going to get taken care of during the week. And um uh, there are some big ones. Um, so it'll be uh, interesting to see how it shakes out. And hopefully Fresno State can just keep taking care of business against some of the, the teams, Colorado State, UNLV, Utah, Utah State in the stretch that aren't expected to be contenders and um, just kind of fine-tune everything they need to before they play some of those teams that will be fighting for the title. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be an interesting week. Uh, things are already starting to become interesting, and it's only week two of this shortened season. Uh, actually, week three. Boy, that went by quick. Yes, <laughs> week three of this shortened season. So uh, be sure to keep checking these out because every game matters at this point. So you kind of want to follow up and, and see how the Mountain West is doing. Uh but also, Jackson, uh, before we get off, any final thoughts, any final things you want to share with the Bulldog faithful out there? Um, you know, we, we keep bringing the content at BarksBoard.com. Um, we've got a lot of interesting stuff on the premium board. There's been some recruiting news coming in the past couple of days. There's been, we've got practice updates. We're not as, you know, there in person like we would like to with this, all the COVID protocols, but we do get some access to the coaches and the players. And um, so we've got some interesting notes about some personnel changes uh, possibly in the works for this week. And uh, we broke down last weekend's game um, as far as snap counts and uh, some other insider notes from Bulldog Stadium that you might not have seen on TV. So um, got a lot going on there and um, a lot of coverage uh, coming up for this game as well. And we have premium options starting uh, for just a dollar on your first month if you want to give it a trial run or even a seven-day free trial uh, if that works better for you. And um, a lot of ways to, to get on and um, check out what we have to offer. And so, uh, I mean, with a shortened season, <laughs> the, the monthly subscriptions are more valuable than ever because you're getting 
fifty uh, percent of the season in a month, <laughs> that you would never have with a twelve game or, or thirteen game slate like the Bulldogs normally play. So um, a lot there, and we'll have the heat of recruiting. I mean, before you know it, signing days, the early signing days, and about a month and a half. So I mean, from now till uh, about the end of December is going to be a sprint for all of our coverage and. We'll have basketball soon, and I mean, it's going to be a, a unprecedented time uh, beyond Election Day for us <laughs> as far as what we've got going on with the rest of 2020. Yeah, and for and for some of the possible new listeners that are out there, the Bark Board not only just covers football, they also cover um, basketball. We keep track of all recruiting uh, for both of those sports. Um, now, because of how things are kind of panning out this season, uh Football, high school football uh, here locally um, is going to start sometime in January from what I uh, have heard so far. So we will have some uh, coverage on local high school recruits uh, for Fresno State as things kind of pan out a little bit. So, uh, you know, Jackson, we might get a little bit more busy as the season goes on uh, for January when high school football starts coming around, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sorry that the high schoolers are having to wait, but I mean, a lot of times on a normal Friday, I might be traveling to wherever the Bulldogs are that week, and I miss the, the game entirely in town, so it's going to be nice to, to not have those two schedules conflict. I imagine I'm going to be at a lot of, uh, well, assuming how they, however they handle, handle attendance and the media and all that, but I would like to be at as many uh, Jordan Hornby games as possible at San Joaquin Memorial, and um and Bulldogs have uh, I mean, a lot of other recruits in California. Hopefully we might get a chance to see them as well. And a few other local guys on their radar, uh, Julius Lewis up in Modesto. So uh, there's some chances to, to see some Bulldog commits uh, when you'd normally be a little bit too busy with Fresno State football to see them. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to probably open up a little bit more uh, recruiting-wise for us to, to cover uh, once, once things start to kind of uh, open up a little bit more. But that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us and join us back again next week um, as we continue to to develop things uh, for the Bulldogs here. Uh, You know, things are going to get interesting. Just stay tuned. We'll have more information as the season progresses. Uh, But if you want to get a hold of Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at uh, JacksonMoore247. You can find me on on Twitter at RedWaveReport. You can also head over to our Facebook page and check that out. We've got, uh, gosh, I don't remember how many members we have so far, Jackson. Do you know off the top of your head since the last time we have on Facebook there? Uh, I know we're well over 5,000. I'm not sure how much it's gone up. (laughs) Wow. Our community at the Bark Board has grown tremendously. So be sure that you become a member of our Facebook page. Uh, we tend to kind of, uh, you know, give you sneak peeks of, of what is to come on the barkboard.com. Uh, so become a, a member there and share us with everyone you know that are Bulldog fans. Uh, you can also head over to our boards and check out uh, all the latest information there. If you're a premium subscriber, you'll get the news before anyone else does, uh, typically. Um, so if you aren't a premium subscriber, like Jackson said, now is the time to take advantage. That being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics.